We've partnered with Vicoco for today's podcast episode. They're a vegan online cooking school that was created by German vegan twins, Lucas and Samuel. They have everything from pastry, chocolate and raw food to a variety of different Asian cuisines. They offer a seven-day free trial that you can grab if you're not ready to sign up straight away. But they also have one, three, six and 12-month gift cards, which gives you access to all 15 plus courses, 500 plus lessons starting at only $35. For being our podcast listeners, you get $10 off. So for example, the one month gift card would be just $25. Use the discount code TMV10 at checkout to get $10 off. Visit vcoco.com today to take advantage of this wonderful offer. That's V-E-E-C-O-C-O.com. Now onto the podcast. Yes, Michael. How are you? I'm great. How are you going? Good. Good. Last day of the year. Last day of 2020. It is. It is. It's kind of exciting. Kind of, yeah. It's like, I don't know. Like I, I know it's been an interesting year for many of us, but I don't know. It's such a clean number, 2020. And mm. I, I'm kind of, you know, I had a lot of high hopes for 2020. In many ways, it was. I think a lot of people did too. Yeah. Didn't Entering anticipate. a new decade and everything. Yeah. But in many ways, it was pretty magical year for us can't speak for everybody but um yeah i think let's welcome in the new year mm. with a with a podcast yes on that note we have a, a really interesting topic for us i know when we started discussing this off air we we got quite fired up and in you know it actually created a bit of debate between Marsha and i at times which is actually the whole point of this episode uh, to agree yeah, to yeah, disagree exactly it's to productively disagree as um i forgot what that girl's name is on the ted talk but we'll link to it in the show notes but julia something yeah but basically interacting with people with completely opposing views in a relatively peaceful and objective way with love mm. um because the opposite is obviously creating division and emotion uh, across the whole world at the moment but we wanted to look at it through the lens of veganism specifically um, but how that might expand towards other areas of life as well. But before we dive into that conversation, what's the last couple of weeks been like? Um, it all feels like a little bit of a blur, but like a relaxed blur in many ways. So last week was Christmas and um, we're lucky we live somewhere where we don't have any lockdowns or anything. So we were able to go to our neighbours for breakfast, which was really lovely. And um, we decided a couple of days prior to do something a little bit different, which we normally don't do because we don't typically buy mock meats or anything that resembles real meat besides sausages that we sometimes buy as well. Yeah, so we were YouTubing some things and um, came across this seitan brisket because we were looking at what's what can we possibly make with gluten flour which I've had in the pantry sitting there for months because I was planning to to try some things with it and um, I was put off because I watched an episode of MasterChef quite a while back and she was one one of the contestants was making seitan from scratch but she was actually making it from I imagine from wheat flour and stripping it back um, to just have the gluten. So she was washing it and rinsing it and pulling it and doing all of these things that just looked too complicated and, you know, quite advanced. And I thought, oh, I can't be bothered. So I put it off and not until we watched this video, I realized how easy it actually is to make. And we had pretty much all of the ingredients yeah, especially at home. If, like you need that, the gluten flour, is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the, that's the main Thing yeah, so if you've got for, that, it's super easy. Yeah, you don't have to make it. Yeah. I mean, you can make it using wheat flour, but... Um, it looks pretty labor-intensive. It is pretty labor-intensive. Yeah. And before they started just using gluten, that's how seitan was made. So we gave that a crack and it was actually really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it turned out well. We made some potatoes and salad and... Um, yeah, so if you want to give that a go, we're not. It's not a recipe that we're testing for the website, but it's something that 
we just wanted to try because it was different. Yeah. Um. So we'll link to that uh, YouTube video yeah, in the description like, below. If you like barbecue, sort of infused Texas style. Which we normally food. like. This it's is not something that we would think even that before would be our even thing. before we were vegan. This is not something we yeah. really exposed ourselves to. So yeah. it was really cool to just have fun with it mm, and try something new. Tried something different. So yeah, uh, yeah it was so nice. that was fun. We watched some movies and yeah, we didn't really do an awful lot because we didn't go back to Canberra for Christmas. So we don't we don't really know too many people here. So it was quite a pretty quiet one for us yep um but yeah no it's been good it's been good yeah. all right yeah so i mean look that's been pretty much it we've just taken a bit of time off work just to recharge yeah uh as, as we get ready for the new year but i suppose we should shift gears into our topic yes so again we, we are discussing the challenges of interacting with people conversing with people who have opposing views to yourself and Again, we want to look at it very specifically through our experiences with veganism. But before we do that, I think just to go back in time a little bit, I, I don't know, I think we spend so much time trying to fit in initially, yeah. especially in, if you look at middle school, you know, we want to so desperately want to feel accepted and uh, respected by our peers. And sometimes we change who we are just to be able to do that. Mm. And I think at some point, as you mature as an adult, and you realize that, you know, you start to get more comfortable in your own skin, then the opposite starts to happen. At least this is my experience anyway. Like whether it's been entrepreneurship or veganism or minimalism or whatever it is, you start to seek people who share similar worldviews to you because obviously that's going to bring a level of comfort. It's going to allow you to be yourself more. You don't have to work as hard mm. um, to please people. Yeah. I think also a lot of the time when you're younger, you tend to try different things because you're still trying to work out where you fit in this world and what you like and what you dislike. And I think that also then can come with a lot of testing friendships and relationships and all of that sort of thing. So as we get older, we start to, well, I think you know, we're lucky enough to have found what we love doing in life. I mean, there are still adults that are struggling, which I really feel for them because it must and must mustn't be easy to still have not found your passion um, or things that you know get you excited to get up in the morning. So, but still, we we generally t- tend to have a better understanding of who we are as a as a person and who we have time for and don't have time for in life. Yeah to surround ourselves with. So I think that that's the differentiator between, you know, more of a childhood approach of like testing. So you're right. I think we we do like as adults, it's just completely different. I think we're not in situations where we're forced to interact with too many people with opposing views. We have a little bit more control over that schedule depending on what you do with your time and, you know, your colleagues or social activities or whatever it is. But um, generally speaking, so... I think it is easier to go and find those people who who share similar perspectives to you. And I think back to like our vegan journey, which we've talked about before in previous episodes. But when you look at it, I think we're in a really fortunate position where we became vegan together. And during that time, we have lived together under the same roof. So with complete control over what we're bringing into the house in terms of food, um, being you know vegan friendly, for example. So I think it's a very different situation compared to somebody who's trying to be vegan in maybe a household where people are not vegan as well. And they may not have support from a partner or something like that, or they might be in isolation in that journey. So naturally, you're going to want to seek people who are also vegan for a bit more support, a bit more understanding, relatability, maybe some tips and some guidance uh, for, you know, if you get stuck along the way in your journey because you're going to have different forces pulling you in the opposite direction and different triggers on a daily basis as well. So I think, you know, when I hear our audience, when they reach out to us, um, this is what I'm hearing a lot in terms of their struggles with veganism um, is being accepted and being understood and having support. So I think that's where what we call the vegan bubble starts to get formed. You know, because not only do you seek people in person who are vegan, but 
it's quite natural to then go online and jump onto like a Facebook group or online communities or even all the content that you consume, whether it's news, whether it's blogs, YouTube, podcasts, audiobooks, whatever it is you're listening to, the algorithms start to gear towards this bias of, you know, a vegan world and to right. help you get through it and help you make that transition and change your behavior, which is often at this point a whole lifetime of behaviors which you're trying to undo and going in a different direction. Um, but what I've found, at least for us, is that sometimes when this bubble is formulating, it's a great way to create protection for you and believe in in your decision to become vegan but it is also a way to sometimes create a huge level of confirmation bias in what you believe and i think this is especially true in the vegan community Mm. right like sometimes like you know vegans might go to other vegans just to vent for example you know they might be really frustrated that their mum or their spouse is just not on board or not supporting them to be vegan or what are some ideas to get their children to eat more plants for example so then when you start to interact with these people that are living a vegan lifestyle then you can start to disconnect yourself from people who are not don't have the same behaviors Mm. so because you want to be in your comfort zone you don't want you don't want to be challenged you don't want to feel like you're being judged you don't want to create conflict yeah i mean that's why a lot of the time i don't in certain conversations i don't voice my opinion because i don't want to get into arguments i don't want to start something that'll just be uncomfortable for everyone so but i think that in many ways that's a really important and healthy thing and i'm doing a disservice to myself and the conversation if i don't bring it up Because then that narrative continues, you know, like the more that people shut up, the more there is the only one side of the conversation being talked about. Absolutely. Can I share a story with you? I've told you already. (laughs) You already know the story, but I want to share it again. I don't know what story you're about to tell. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a vegan food and wine festival here in Tasmania and, um, and, you know, I've been to many of these festivals in the six years that I've been vegan. Um, but but it's always really nice to go to these events because obviously it's attracting a vegan crowd, um, which means, you know, there's a... And that's a good thing about being with people vegan who... Vegan crowd, but people that are open-minded and curious about being vegan as well. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah, just true. vegan. Yeah, true. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. But the cool thing about going to these events, and we went to one in Hobart as well, like another one, but generally when you talk to people and they're vegan as well, there's a level of um, ease, like uh, some things that you can just confidently talk about that you may not get the opportunity to talk about normally. And um, yeah, so there wasn't a huge amount of people here, but I was able to uh, have a conversation with a vegan couple there. And because like we talk about bubbles, our bubble is like pretty extreme because not only are we both vegan, but we're both vegans who create content around veganism, living at home, uh, like working from home, like just in our own reality. Like we've literally created our own rea- reality. So our bubble is like strong in terms of our own bias. So when we go to these events, I'm always always curious to sort of get different perspectives. And this couple was talking about, like, I'm just like, oh, how how is it like interacting with non-vegans at this time of year? Because obviously there's a lot of Christmas parties, at work Christmas parties, and there's a lot of events. And I, I remember there were always very interesting times for being a vegan because, you know, you're often ordering food on a menu and there's interesting conversations that happen. And um, the gentleman I was speaking to was saying that, like, yeah, it's pretty frustrating because, you know, we went out for, for drinks and food last night. And it seems that everybody who isn't vegan is, like, playing, like, a game with you on the menu now. So it's like they're going through the menu and they're sort of deciding what you can eat and what you can't eat. So they're going through and saying, they're like, oh, that looks really nice, this eggplant dish. And they're like, oh, actually, no, it comes with egg. You can't have that, actually. Oh. That sucks. Oh, what's next? What's what's available next? Oh, you can't have that either. Or maybe you can have that. And it's like, it's this back and forth that's happening. And I was just laughing and they couldn't understand why I was laughing. I'm like, that's fantastic. That's so, 
interesting that like a 2020 experience is so different now because there's so much uh, vegan options available but and it's so accepted and they're trying to be helpful but it can be actually quite irritating for the vegan there because they actually don't want to draw attention to themselves in this social interaction yet people are making a game of it and i'm like i miss these moments you know i wish like i could come out of my bubble and almost go back into the workforce just so i can be better connected with how people are responding to veganism now Mm. Um, because it's changing every year as it becomes more accessible and more accepted. And like, it's like you're hearing all the time. It's like, oh yeah, like veganism is no longer as weird because my daughter's vegan or my son-in-law's vegan or my mother is now vegan. Like everybody kind of knows a vegan in, in the Western world, generally speaking. But don't you find it that like, they might not sound like they're proud of you to your face, but then as soon as they step out and talk to other people when (laughs) you're not there and they come across another vegan, they get super excited and like, oh my God, well, you know, I know someone that's vegan and they have like this prideful moment about it, even though maybe deep down inside, they actually wish that you weren't. Yeah, for sure. It's, you're definitely right. There's a a sense of like, yeah, yeah, I know somebody who's vegan and because they're trying to find a common ground yeah. in this connection with this person. And I guess it's funny because that's what it comes back to, you know, like this topic of talking to people and trying to find common ground with them to even if it's a small slither of a possibility. That's right. And But I, but I think for this this couple that were in these work interactions, it's it's like for them, it's like they were at this event to connect with more vegans, to confirm their own biases, to feel accepted. Yet they're interacting with people with opposing views and getting a little bit irritated. And I think it's really easy to sort of seek seek that comfort mm. and shy away from that sort of semi-conflict, right? And I mean, it depends also who you are. I wouldn't have found that irritating, but maybe I'd, you know, like they might go out for dinner with friends all the time so it's a repetitive thing you know for them after a while it may sound like a broken record whereas if it's something that doesn't happen very often or you surround yourself with vegans predominantly might not be an issue for you yeah for sure i remember i used to get really irritated when people kept asking like oh like you know, I'm just concerned about getting nutrients or where you get your protein. And it was like, there's always this eye roll. It's like, oh, here we go again. Mm. It's like, I can almost predict you're about to ask that question. Mm. But people were genuinely interested in this and, and wanting to know, even though you've, your experience in your world was like, oh, people keep asking this question. Yeah. But to this person, it might be the, the first, first, time. first time they've interacted yeah. with a vegan yeah. before um, or someone that eats this way. And so um, it's just your perception, right? So I think, and it's interesting because people, when they used to ask me that question, I used to get annoyed yep. at the beginning, but now it's kind of like it gives you an opportunity to explain it better and yes. you're not in that state of mind anymore. Yes. So it's just about how you perceive something and how you wish to approach it. Yes. And then you seem more approachable and they might ask you more questions because you're not rolling your eyes and going, oh my God, you know, I've been asked this question a million times, which might make them super uncomfortable because they actually wanted to, you know, have this interaction with you and, and understand it better. So Absolutely. And I think the, you know, the, these type of questions that you may receive can create conflict, but there's other triggers as well. Mm. Like, for example, if you're trying to create your own bubble or your own bias or your own community around veganism, but a relative of yours is like a farmer, for example, and it's their job to slaughter animals and sell meat, right? That can just, in the nature of it being what it is, can create conflict. I remember like even going back to my family home, it's like even I feel a bit uncomfortable using the chopping boards at times because I know like my mum aggressively chops fish, <laughs> like and fish heads and all this stuff on these chopping boards. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to use your chopping board when I'm cooking. Like it's just, I didn't want to feel that way, but it just naturally felt that way. Mm. Um, so there's all these triggers that can just sort of bubble inside, even though it's not outwardly conflict, mm. it can manifest in that. And Even can, just the smell of meat sometimes or, you know, eggs or dairy products or anything that's around you. That's right. Because you don't consume it. It's like the whole thing of, you know, when you stop using chemicals, you become more sensitive to them. Like that's how I am. If I smell chemical, I can smell them from a mile away now where I once upon a time, it was just normal to me. Mm. So it's like that whole separation of 
And once you're associated with a completely different thing and you know what those chemicals do to you, you have a different reaction to them. Yeah. It's the same thing with veganism. Once you become vegan, any of those smells or um, as you were saying, the chopping board or anything, it can become triggering for you and have a completely different view on it to what you used to once upon a time when you didn't even think twice about it. Yeah, for sure. And I think with those triggers, again, it can make us want to go back to that safety net of, uh, okay, I'm just going to go back into my bubble. Going to go back to my bubble, my vegan bubble. But what's the risk of that? Mm. You don't, you just, you live in a world that's not real. Like you live in, you live in this world, don't get me wrong, but you live in your own reality that you've created. And I think technology tends to amplify that as well with, you know, how you mentioned earlier with algorithms and what we've talked about before as well. I think it was in the Are You Addicted to the News podcast episode. Um, And that can quite quickly put you into a complete bubble of things that they're trying to help you, but in some ways it's not helping you because it creates this just one view for you in life and then it just feeds you that all the time. You know, it's trying to to give you things that you will enjoy. So you obviously stay longer on that platform, but it's also not feeding that bigger perspective and, and different opinions and um, different points of view of a certain situation potentially. So I think it's, we actually have to work harder these days to seek those experiences because I think that more and more people are starting to shut themselves off because they just don't want to feel hurt or they don't want to feel triggered. And if they do, I mean, even 2020 in itself is a very big magnifying glass on how people respond to others. You know, like a lot of it comes then from fear, anger, violence, and it it can just, rather than sitting, like it's not easy, but I think as a human race, we need to learn these skills and we need to put ourselves in other people's situations more often. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like we, um, yeah, okay. I think she'll be comfortable with us saying this. So one of our, one of our friends in the vegan community, Claire Mann, she's a, she's a psychologist and she often helps a lot of vegan patients as well. And uh, we were on a call with her a few months ago and uh, just discussing the impact of 2020 uh, on households and she said that and, and look she's written a book on trying to be vegan in a non-vegan world and the dynamic of that um, so she's deeply connected to culture and and how we all interact with each other but what she was saying is that like the rift and the conflict that veganism creates in relationships pales in comparison to what's happening this year mm. you know what i mean so um and what i mean by that specifically is like you know um religion political views race, equality, all of these bigger topics, environmentalism, are really dividing people. Mm. And I I know I've had friends who have broken up with their spouse um, because of different political views. So that's why we thought it was timely to discuss veganism specifically, but really it's a metaphor for um, everything everything else else that's happening as well. And we realise that Cool. When you, it's really, it seems counterintuitive to go and actually seek, like, actually interact with people who are completely different to you. Mm. <laughs> when you've spent your whole time trying to find people who are similar to you. I mean, look at the dating world. Mm. When people look to date each other, what's one of the first? Everyone's got their list. Mm. They've got a list of requirements, looking for similarities and overlap. Yeah. Right. Because well, so that they have something to talk about, and so that it's not awkward, and that they don't get into an argument exactly on the first right. date. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like too hard to try and date somebody with opposing views to you. Like, think about what that might mean for raising kids in the future and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. It's 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 just hard work. Like, why would you do that to yourself? Mm. Yet. I think it's more important than ever that we do that. And and I think when we were doing research for this episode and it sort of reflecting on our own behaviours, um, we came across a few resources that we'd like to, to mention now. But but the first one is this great little mini docu-series on YouTube by Lab Lad Bible TV. And they've got this playlist called Agree 
to disagree. And of course, one of the first ones we watched was with a vegan earthling egg, Ed, a pretty um, renowned animal activist in the vegan community, having a conversation on the opposite table with a hunter, like a, a female hunter, middle-aged woman. And the whole idea of the show is like, this is just one example, but you could have different, you could be left first, right? It could be, there was another interesting one with a porn star um, talking to a uh, priest. priest. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea is that they cycle through these questions across the table from each other. And then they basically tell each other if they strongly agree or slightly agree with uh, the the topic at hand as it relates to both of their beliefs. And they basically have a debate. Mm. But the cool thing is, at the end of the conversation, it always ends with, the last question is, is would, you, would you be willing to have a drink with me again? And uh, it's always really telling to see that they can get into this heated debate, but still separate themselves from the conversation and look at each other as a human being and maybe continue that relationship. So this was a really, um, it was a paradigm shifting sort of example of communication and, and what it got me reflecting on 2020 and veganism and all this stuff. And maybe we've been doing this all wrong. Maybe we've been thinking backwards about community and relationship building and we should actually be really challenging ourselves to be in a room, be in situations with people with opposing beliefs, not only that, but opposing actions, for example, to ground us in reality mm. and challenge us to love each other anyway. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's the ultimate sign of strength. Yeah, because not everything is black and white because it has, there's, you know, there's 500 different shades of grey in any conversation or any view. You know, I think it's important to be able to have these conversations with people and to be open enough to have yourself persuaded in the other direction. Yes. You know, there's there's interesting things that we were talking off air about, like when when did you change your mind about something that you had a really strong view on? And it's very humbling to look back on that and go, wow, I was really strongly looking at something from my point of view, that was obviously fed to me through my algorithm in inverted commas, but I heard somebody else talk about it in a completely different way, which also makes sense, you know? Um, so it's, it's interesting to see, it's important to see and to listen to other people, how they might view it or the research that they have done to be op more open-minded. But it doesn't necessarily mean that every time you get together with that person or when you meet that person, you have to have a debate. I think it's just a healthy way to open up your own perspective and to hear somebody else's because you will always learn something new from them, regardless if you agree or not. That's right. And I think you touched on a really good point of, you know, a willingness to be wrong. Mm. Because I think we're fighting so hard to be right. Mm. <laughs> Almost at all costs. Yeah. Um, almost at the point of war. Yeah. Well, no, at the point of war. Mm. At the point of killing each other mm. to be right. That's how much we care about being right. Mm. And and it's like that doesn't seem like it's productive mm. it's to like to, to solve yeah. problems and to and to progress as as a society. You almost need to leave your ego and pride at the door. Yeah. And walk in there. Be willing to like it's tricky because it's this fine balance of like. You want to be persuaded, but you also want to persuade that other person. Yeah. So whatever the outcome is, is that you're okay with it. Yes. Rather than like fuming and walking away going, I can't believe this, this, this and this. That person's you know? just stupid. Yeah. Can you believe how stupid? How, how, how much are we hearing that in 2020? Yeah. Can you believe these stupid, you know? Yeah. That, that's how we're leading conversations. I remember last year... Um, I wrote an article about whether plants have feelings mm. because it kept coming up in many like conversations in person or online about uh, veganism and obviously uh, argument against veganism is like, well, plants also have feelings. So like, mm. how, what's your, what's your stance on that from an ethical viewpoint? So I wrote an article about it, but you know, my approach to those type of pieces is almost, well, actually I try and look for all the holes in my own bias. Yeah. So I actually go and think, okay, if somebody had a really good argument that plants had feelings, what would they be saying? What would they be looking for? And the challenge with that, it, like I do that because I want to start there 
And I want to see if I can persuade based on those well-presented points to strengthen the article. But in doing that research, it's incredibly scary mm. because you, you, you have to convince yourself that you could be wrong here. Yeah. You have to, to put yourself in that person's shoes. You have to be wrong. So, and at some point in the research, I'm like, oh my God. And again, it's not all black and white. It's not black and white. And you saw me, I was scratching my head and I was coming to you. I'm like, oh, this is exhausting. Like it's, you know, the the, the research out there is really Mm. wishy-washy on this topic. And I had to form a lot of my own conclusions because um, there just didn't seem to be enough data. Like, so I was like, there was a lot of doubt that I had, but then I found the information I was able to present the argument in the way that I wanted to, but was based on facts. But see, you listen how you say, base the argument on the way that you wanted to. Yeah, on my to. bias. Yeah. Yeah, on my bias. But but it, I walked away from the article sort of, uh, from the piece like, like it's just not what I thought it was. You know what mm. I mean? It's like... You even go though, with one idea yeah, and it comes out completely different. That's right. You know, because even though plants don't have... A, I don't want to get into the details, but they don't have a central nervous system and all that. And it's very reactive, like a doorbell. I'm not making much sense because I'm not giving you context, but... Um, but <laughs> so plants are like doorbells. But, <laughs> but, but there was some really interesting case studies of seeing how trees and plants can communicate to each other Mm. through roots in the ground and all of this stuff that Mm. forms a level of protection so um it it was like confronting um to do that research but it was very fulfilling at the same time and it just makes you feel like how how often are we willing to be vulnerable yeah about what we believe in Mm. and what we believe to be true yeah and um but it's also it's a beautiful thing if you can get to that place and i think I know one thing that we discussed as well is that, well, sure, okay, what if you do put yourself out there? What if you do try to be open-minded mm. and you try to be vulnerable and you try to be accepting and loving, but it's not reciprocated mm. from the other person? Mm. Then what? Like, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because, like, you want to in some ways grow yourself as a person, but then if you don't know that person to be more accepting and to be open-minded like you're trying to be, it can almost trigger you to then go even further back into your bubble Mm. to go, see, I tried and it didn't work. Mm. And I think especially in, in the year that we've had, people that are open are shut on. Like Mm. really they – in some ways, they try and see perspectives from different points of view and not just the narrative that's been told through the media in particular. And it's just like, right, okay, I wish that I didn't say that. Or they're being cancelled, as we now call it, you know? Yeah. Oh, you mean that somebody who tries to share a different perspective or be open and now yeah. being shut down? Yeah. Yeah. So this whole cancelling culture is really it's really real and it's I think making people much more scared to also be more open-minded and still speak their truth but then also be open-minded to other opinions yeah and not just of the the narrative that they've been told Mm. so yeah it can get a bit complicated and it can get like your vulnerability you really have to have a lot of strength because, encouraged because, to do you, that. Like, like, real talk here, you tend to shut down, right? If yeah. if it's not reciprocated, yeah. then you might just... And then what, what happens when you shut down? I tune out. Like, I don't... Because I don't like conflict, I don't like argument, I just shut down and want to walk away. Mm. And then the more times that that happens, I just... Yeah, it kind of gets... 1% less chance of me opening up again. Yeah. So I think, you so, know. And then if we think about all the people that have been burnt trying to put themselves out there and are now losing strength by every conversation, every interaction to continue to be open-minded, uh, it's very destructive mm. um, for our world at the moment. And I think we're going to jump into some tips. And I think these are not tips from us. These are things that we've come across that we want to try and apply to our own approach generally like going into 2021 one of the big themes for us is is yeah really seeking like actually not just 
like actually going after these these interactions, after like putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations um, outside of our bubble, mm. and challenging ourselves to understand other points of view, even if we don't agree with them in the end or agree, we just want to challenge ourselves to show compassion to that person anyway. Yeah. And which leads us to probably the first thing that we came across. I know this really resonated with me, but it starts with like separating ideas from a person's identity, mm. right? And this hit me hard because you know, we've talked at length about identity, you know, about embodying identity, particularly around minimalism, veganism, and the things that you, you, want, you want to sort of pursue in life. And, I, and we had that stance because if you bring something into your identity then you're likely to get the transformation in behavior that follows, right? Mm. So James Cleave, he wrote a book um, called Atomic Habits, a New York Times bestseller. And um, it's really great read if you haven't read it already, if you're looking to, you know, develop new habits, particularly at this time of the year. But he talks a lot about identity. He's just like, you know, identity is the catalyst for behavior change. It's like, rather than saying that you want to lose 20 pounds, be the person that never misses a workout at the gym. Mm. You know, embody the identity of somebody who never misses a workout. Mm. Or embody the identity of somebody who eats healthy, right? Because that will help with transformation. So this is the challenge. On one side of the spectrum, we're trying to build our identity around what we believe so we can change our behavior, you know, have less things, be more compassionate, be vegan, you know. But then on the other side of the spectrum, then we get into these interactions and then we have to then separate our identity from our ideas, mm. right? To Because the moment that we start to interact with people and we attack the person rather than the idea, that's when things escalate. Mm. Because it's like, you're not vegan and you're bashing vegans. That means you're bashing me as a human being. Yeah. All right. Now I'm pissed off and now like, you know, I'm shutting down, etc. But no, it's like, no, you're still a good human being, Marsha, you as a human being. But let's challenge this idea that you have about veganism. Yeah. It changes the whole mm. dynamic of the conversation. And I think it also helps to remember that most of us weren't vegan from birth. And we also had reasons as to why we didn't want to become vegan or pushed it to the side. And so I think it's sometimes comforting to put yourself in the shoes of who you were before you became vegan to really connect and understand with that person and not feel make them feel like you're above them because at the end of the day we're all human beings we all have a beating heart and so I think it's important to like for me for instance when someone comes to me and mentions the whole well I eat only ethical meat or I you know buy only organic meat that's been grass-fed and the animal was treated really well through its whole life and all of that. That was my stance before I became vegan. And so like there's a lot of it that I can relate to there. But when we first became vegan, I used to put my nose up at that excuse because I thought that it wasn't good enough. Mm. But now I've come to realize, well, hang on a second, that used to be me and it makes it less approachable if I was to react to myself the way that I did back then. Mm. So, and again, you don't, you, that other person then shuts down because they don't feel like and they, they can have an open and honest conversation with you about it. For sure. So. And, and you know what, and, and, that's, and that's one thing, right? I think if you can find some sort of common ground. Yes. That, you know, and, and it's talked about in all this stuff we've been nerding out on, um, these TED Talks and whatnot. But like it, it seems like the, the catalyst for these productive conversations is trying to find common ground. Because if you find common ground, you actually have a better chance of persuading somebody mm. um, because they're going to pull down their walls a little bit. Um, but then there's a lot of situations where you can't find common ground, where, you know, there is no overlap. Mm. You, you actually, somebody's worldview and upbringing is completely different to yours you mm. couldn't even begin to understand what they're going through so in that situation i mean there's always something you know you maybe both like going to the beach or maybe you both like the color blue yes. you know there's always going to be true. something That's that you can as find a human, in common you're right as, as a, a human, human as a human there's always some things that we're going to yeah. have that overlap you both love chai lattes yes. you know like but let's say let me rephrase it let's say you're struggling yeah. To find common ground. Yeah. In the absence of that, 
I, I think it's really, uh, I know I've been caught in this in the past, but I think our egos and pride can be so big about how we read people and our ability. And I learned this, you know, in previous roles as a manager is you, you put a lot of pride in reading people when you're hiring them. Mm. And then you soon realize <laughs> that um, you really don't know much. You don't know until you work with somebody. Because they put their best foot forward. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. But you can you can think like, oh, yeah, I'm really good at reading people and I hire great people. But at some point you realize that, no, you just really need to get people working in the environment as soon as possible and then see. Mm. And I think there's – what I'm trying to say is that we we can get caught in this idea of like you, you make assumptions about people. You have your own bias about people based on the way they look, they dress – their heritage, their culture, their skin color, their sex, their age. Like we make up, we, as soon as we see somebody, we've got this bias going on in our heads and it's quite often it's unconscious. Mm. So what I try to do to challenge that, I don't care if you're a three-year-old toddler or you're 90-year-old old man, like can you challenge yourself to say, what can I learn from this person? Mm. What can I learn from this interaction? And what that does is it, it starts this process of you to be really curious and to ask questions. And right? move past the intellectual side of the conversation or the interactions and just observe them as well. That's right. Yeah. It's like, listen yeah. to what they have to say. <laughs> um, I think sometimes we're so concerned about adding value or saying something in a conversation that we forget to listen. But it's this whole idea of just like, what can I learn from this person? And every time I've done that, I end up learning something really unique about this person, not only for themselves, but something that may that could add value to my life as well. Yeah. And it's interesting. And when that happens, there's this energy that goes forward and, um, and, and to the point where they feel it too. Like this, like this person's really invested in me. Mm. And by the time topics are raised that all of a sudden there's opposing views, it's dealt with a lot more gracefully. Yeah. Because we've already built trust with each other as human beings and there's this greater acceptance all of a sudden in these these um, opposing beliefs. Mm. Um, but it all starts with, okay, it's think about how many times somebody's assumed something of you mm. and then they've communicated that. Think about how that makes you feel. You know what I mean? It's like, and I've experienced that a lot. Uh, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm black, and I and I've grown up in you communities. Struggle to say yeah, that. but I've grown up in communities where there's not many black people, right? Mm. But I've learned to see that as an exciting opportunity because, uh, you know, I might walk up to somebody and I know they're making some assumptions, but I also know that by the time we've interacted, I may have changed their perspective. Yeah. So I see it as a game, mm. and um. And I think we're all doing it. We're all judging each other prematurely. And it sometimes blocks us from learning something from each other mm. and then starting that process of seeking out opposing beliefs mm. because we're already writing people off. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The I remember when we were in high school, you know, you'd have the debate team and people that would go out there and, um, you know, prepare for a debate. And you actually never got to pick which side, if you were for or yeah, against. true. So you might have been picked the side that you completely opposed to, but you are forced into this interaction to try and persuade mm. in the other way. Mm. So that's a really interesting exercise to do is put yourself in the other person's shoes that you're opposed to or like doesn't necessarily have to be a person, just an idea and try and persuade or think about it how it would make sense or mm. how you can actually uh, normalize it or break it down just that little bit more where you can actually get that person's point of view much better mm. and be more open-minded. So that's, I think, a really interesting way. And, you know, I wish that I did debate in, in school. Yeah, because you would it, acquire the skill It of, really teaches you. Not yeah. that, you know, I think probably just from the fact that it was public speaking scared the crap out of me, but it would have been a really useful skill in life to have. That's right. And I think the interesting thing about those debates is that it's the debating ideas. They're not, they're never, they're never allowed to attack someone's um, 
identity or who they are because yeah. that's below the belt and I don't, I don't yeah. think that's part of the rules. Yeah. So already you're practicing the idea of separating ideas and identity. Mm. Um, and as you said, it's like you're almost, like, like I said with that post I wrote last year, it's like you have to think the other way. Yeah. Like, what if I was wrong? What what would I be saying? Um, anyway, so I think this is hard. Like, I mean, we, we discussed this and we're like, okay, cool. It sounds good in theory, but like, it's hard. Like, and, and you, you know, like, for example, if I was to meet, um, I haven't yet, and I'm sure I do have friends that do, but we haven't had, a, we haven't talked about it yet. But like, let's say that I had a friend that was really into hunting animals, you know, um, that's already triggering that's already creating conflict you know what i mean Mm. if we were to cross that topic yeah but but that's ultimately where i want to get to i want to be able to still have love for that person um even though they may be like it's what they do on weekends or is to kill animals right um for pleasure or for whatever reason that they justify for but it's my role is to still accept them so it's still fundamentally disagree with that and we can still hash it out. We can have that conversation in an objective, productive way and we can try and persuade each other, but not to the point of emotional conflict when everything breaks down, mm. right? And that's hard. That is it, so it freaking is hard. hard because we're seeing it, these keyboard warriors online, oh, I'm right wing or left wing and you're stupid and no, you're stupid. And it's like, there's so much baggage and emotion tied into this. Um, it almost feels like an impossible task, but you know, I think it just starts with those, those, the, some of the things we discussed today to expand and be more open-minded. Mm. We all say we want to be more open-minded, but are we practicing it? Are we mm. actually doing it? And as vegans, you know, we have a lot of compassion for animals, but and we talk, you know, people say this all the time. You have to have compassion to your fellow human being as well. Yes, um, because that's the only way that there's going to be any possible change. Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel that. Vegans are just angry human beings, you mm. know. So I think it's time that or we, privileged, yeah, that's that coming up a lot start, more. Just privileged, yeah. yeah. You you can, yeah, because in the position that you're in, yep, you can eat um a diet with no animal products. Yep. So it's interesting, which but, which I agree with to some extent. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm practicing this now, but there is a level of privilege in that. It's also if you want to eat healthy. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's, but it goes either way. It's because it's not black and white, right? Mm. That, you know, there are people who you might not consider as privileged who can still be vegan. Yeah. And they might, you know, there's some they places. They beans and rice. There's some places where they can't afford to eat meat. Yeah. It's that this is the opposite problem. Well, you I know, think so that there is, and that's why I think a lot of, you know, in, in India in particular, a lot of people are vegetarians because meat is just, and, you know, for obviously for religious reasons as well, yeah. they, um, Depends where you live, but they, you know, a cow is a very sacred animal to them. So it also depends on a lot of different things. But in many countries where people don't eat meat, it's because they actually can't afford to. That's right. Yeah. So it's 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 not so much about privilege as it is about in like circumstance and and even living in the middle of the desert or in in on ice or like there's so many factors that go into that, but. But the fact is, I would start that conversation with like, okay, well, let's look at those situations where mm. people can't be vegan. Let's start there. Yeah. And let's work our way back rather than saying that, no, 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 everyone can be vegan. You know, let's challenge that perspective. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm just curious to see where that conversation will end up. Mm. I'd also love to know, like, what is it that you've come into a conversation with one opinion and left being completely persuaded the other way. Mm. So if you want to share that with us in the comments in on our show notes page over on the website for this podcast episode, that would be really interesting to see how many people um, and, you know, like what, what did you learn from that experience as well? Mm. Because I know it's happened to, to everyone, I imagine, to a degree. So and and I think it makes you realize how sometimes we can be closed-minded about a certain issue or situation or our opinion that in in some ways it's again it's not always black and white. Just that willingness to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's freaking hard. 
We're all really it prideful. Is. Yeah. That's when it comes down to. And sometimes when you believe something for so long, you just fight for it anyway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've come this far. Yeah. I'll just keep swinging my yeah, punches. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, denial is another word to use there. But yeah, yeah it's, um, it's scary stuff. If you really think about, um, oh, what's that? I love that quote by um, London Real. So there's this uh, so there's this video platform. I forgot the name of it. Marshall's looking at it up now. But um the whole premise of this this guy who interviews a whole bunch of people on different topics. Brian. Is it Brian? I forgot his name. But he interviews people all walks of life, different topics. And he's fighting for free speech. Um, because there's a lot of censorship censorship happening at the moment uh, on the internet. Yeah, Brian Rose. Uh, Brian Rose from London Real. So he opens up every conversation, and I'm going to mess up and paraphrasing his quote here, is that I may not agree with what you have to say, but I'm going to fight to the death for you to be able to say it. And I'm like, yeah. That basically summarizes the ultimate challenge that we all have ahead of ourselves for interacting with each other, from learning from each other, from having compassion to each other, is do we have the strength to be able to fight for people to say what they need to say so they're not censoring themselves. They can be honest. But then we can still, at the end of the day, like have that relationship, have that connection with them. That's the ultimate challenge. And uh, I look forward to practicing this. I'm going to start with veganism, but then like just practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect place to wrap up. Yes. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. And I hope that you got something out of this conversation. We always do. And um, this is what this podcast is about for us. It's a bit, bit of self-discovery, but a lot of learnings and teachings for us as well to take away from it. So happy 2021. And if you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can at theminimalistvegan.com forward slash 54. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll chat to you in the new year. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.